Good morning, everyone. What an absolute blessing to be here. Uh, as I did last night, I want to thank again the leadership of GYC Europe and ASI Europe. You know, I'm hoping, if you don't know, that I'm glad to be able to tell you that both organizations exist to support and further the ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I'm so glad that we had the opportunity to hear from Pastor Rafad Kamal earlier. Uh, what a real blessing to uh, be able to hear from the president of the Trans-European Division. Um, uh, thank you, Pastor, for taking your time to bring greetings and offer encouragement and speak to us about the Lion of the tribe of Judah. We have been reminded today that our confidence is in a mighty God and a great Savior. I bring you greetings from It Is Written. Uh, this media evangelism ministry began in 1956. We are a donor-supported ministry. So I'm just very thankful to God that he has provided for us and has continued to provide for us. At the same time as being a donor-supported ministry, we are a ministry of the North American Division. And uh, it is a very special privilege to be able to be a part of the frontline ministry of the North American Division. This is an age like no other, as you know where you are. And won't it be interesting to see, as we look back on this challenging pandemic, how God used it in a special way for his glory. Now, I would hope that you are seeing that now. I would hope that you are praying for and receiving divine appointments from heaven uh, as God reaches hearts at this time uh, in ways perhaps that he has not done before. So, I encourage you not to see this challenging time as a roadblock. Uh, I hope you won't see it as a hindrance. I hope you will simply see it as an opportunity to find more ways, new ways, even more effective ways of reaching people with the gospel and with an invitation to know Jesus better and to know him more. We know we are living in the latter days of this earth's history. When Jesus is going to come, we can't know that exactly, and we don't need to concern ourselves with that. But we remember that Jesus commissioned the waiting ones to occupy until he comes. So let's be about our Father's business. And I know from experience that ASI Europe stands for being about our father's business. GYC Europe stands for standing for the word of God and allowing Jesus to use us as he wishes for his glory. Thank you to both organizations. And it's a blessing to be able to spend this time with you. I would like to pray and then we'll go to the Bible and ask God really to speak to us and encourage us from his word. Let's pray together now. Our Father in heaven, in Jesus' name, we come to you, and we are thankful today for your goodness, for your faithfulness. 
Speak to us now, we ask you, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again, friends, for this uh, wonderful theme, Ask, What Have We Asked? Imagine that, what have we asked? Uh, let, let's, let's develop that maybe uh, just a little further today. What if we asked? Uh, let me find my notes here. I'm, I'm just very surprised that they somehow disappeared off my screen. So let's, uh, let me try that again. I'm very, oh, here we go. No, that's not it either. I uh, apologize to you. I had my notes just a moment ago. Of course, I could talk without notes, but um, the result would be not exactly what you'd be hoping for. So let me see. That's, uh, that's very surprising to me. There we go. Right there. Of course. The year was 1746. International relations were strained in many places. I'll give you an example of that. An expedition of 11,000 men on board a fleet of 64 ships left France for a place that back then was called Port Royal in Acadia, Port Royal in an area known as Acadia. Well, today, Acadia is known as the province of Nova Scotia in Canada. It had been ruled by France, but the British attacked Port Royal and captured it. Now the French were on their way back to what is present-day Canada to take Port Royal back. They believed it was theirs. 11,000 men on 64 Navy ships against the best one small settlement could do. This would not be pretty. Except that sometimes human plans clash with the plans of God. The French fleet got away late. Their trip was made difficult by bad weather. Uh, they got just off the Azores, the Azores Islands, and the wind stopped blowing. They went nowhere for a long time. Disease broke out along the way. Lightning struck some of the ships and 30 men died as a result. When the French fleet turned back to France, one of the ships was captured by the British 70 miles off the coast of Ireland. By the time the expedition eventually arrived in Nova Scotia, hundreds of men had died and hundreds more were very ill. The leader of the expedition attempted suicide six days after arriving and the whole expedition ended in failure. One of the other leaders died just after he arrived. But what's less known is this, and that is that the people of New England in the United States, or what would become the United States, began preparing for this invasion. It was announced to them that the French fleet had a planned to attack Boston as well. One historian wrote that the governor 
proclaimed a day of fasting and prayer. People flocked to the churches, and in the morning, the weather was good as the pastor of the largest church in Boston prayed for God's deliverance, the weather suddenly changed. The wind blew so violently that the church bell rang up in the steeple. The fleet was prevented from landing in Boston. God delivered the praying people. What the story tells us is that human plans often meet with frustration, delay, and defeat. God's plans know no defeat. The blessing of God brings victory. When things seemed hopeless for the people the French fleet were intending to attack, God fought their battles. He did so in answer to their prayer. Let me ask you today, who is fighting your battles? We live in a time of uncertainty. We have been preaching for years that we are living in the last days of Earth's history. We believe it to be true. We know that there will soon be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. We live in a troubled world. Who is fighting your battles? It's an important question, and I believe that God would answer that question for you today. Let me repeat it. Who is fighting your battles? Down through time, God has proven faithful in behalf of his people. Go back to the time of the Exodus. Israel would leave Egypt, but the most powerful nation on the planet would not stand by and watch them leave. The children of Israel, men and women, the elderly and little children, with their possessions and their animals, see that the Egyptians are pursuing them. The Bible says that they were very afraid. And now listen, and that they cried out to the Lord. They prayed. They called on God. Now they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us like this to carry us forth out of Egypt? But Moses spoke to the people, and he said in Exodus chapter 14 and verse 14, the Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Can you think of times that God has fought for his people? And can you think of times that God has fought for you. 32,000 men were going to fight for Gideon, but God reduced that number down to 10,000. And then he reduced it further to 300. The enemy couldn't be numbered. They were like grasshoppers, the Bible says, and their camels were like the sand of the sea. What? Could 300 men 
do against an army like that except that god was with them following his direction they sounded their trumpets they smashed their jars they advanced boldly and the enemy turned on each other this was an impossibility made possible victory was won by god working for his people god was fighting their battles who is fighting your battles look at me no no don't look at me look with me look with me at a bible story that helps us to see this clearly we'll go to second chronicles chapter 20. second chronicles chapter 20 we'll look in verse 2. second chronicles chapter 20 and verse 2. jehoshaphat the king of judah is told that a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea from syria and they are in hazazon tamar which was in gedi what would jehoshaphat do what could he do this was certain defeat there was no way judah could win this one no way at all so jehoshaphat did the right thing verse 3 says and jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all judah notice this was the first thing he did turning to god wasn't an afterthought turning to god was not something he did when all else failed prayer was not what he did after he had done his best he turned to god first you know how you can spend five minutes or 30 minutes looking for your car keys and then you pray you get sick you go to the doctor and then you pray oh friend let's learn to turn to god first not as an afterthought the king turned to god this had nothing to do with what the people did this was about what god was going to do in answer to their prayer of faith verse 4 judah gathered together to ask help from the lord and from all the cities of judah they came to seek the lord the people responded the king called for a solemn assembly the king called for people to fast and pray i wonder what would happen if every church member came together to pray you know in the south pacific nation of vanuatu several years ago and this is several just a few years ago they planned a major evangelistic outreach now i understand that not every part of the world is the same i understand that you do too but prayer works everywhere they got together to pray church members would get together every day in the morning at the start of their day and they prayed and pled with god 
for an outpouring of his spirit. God worked in incredible ways. And 1% of the population of the nation was baptized at the conclusion of that evangelistic series. Imagine what would happen in our own churches if we prayed and asked God to bless us, if we asked God to attend our efforts with great power. Imagine what would happen if when we called a prayer meeting at church, more than just the usual three or four elderly women showed up. Imagine what would happen if every church member took the call to prayer seriously. Well, friend, until that time happens, let you and I take the call to prayer seriously. God does great things when the church comes together to pray. And I want to tell you something. Prayer costs nothing. You don't need to request a budget from the conference treasurer to pray. You don't need to ask your church board for funding so that prayer can take place. This is something you can afford. It is something you can do. It is something you don't have to be an expert for. And yet, prayer is the key in the hand of faith that unlocks heaven's storehouse. What if we prayed? What if we came together? What if we asked? They came together here in our story. And I want you to see what happened. Jehoshaphat prayed. Notice how he prayed. And notice what he prayed. This is verse 6. O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might, so that no one is able to withstand you? Notice what he said. Are you not God in heaven? God, we know who you are. You are God. You created this world. That's all we need to know. You are God. Nothing is impossible for you. Nothing. The king was convinced this was the right way to start a prayer. You rule over the kingdoms. You have might and power. No one can stand up against you. This is why when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, when you pray, pray, our Father, which art in heaven. We are praying to the God of the universe, the sovereign, the one with limitless resources, the one with boundless power, the one of immeasurable might. Who do you pray to when you pray? Dear Lord, my mother is ill. If it wouldn't be too much trouble for you, uh, if you were willing, uh, if you could, uh, she's very sick, so I don't mean to ask 
too much from you. There's a lady that we are praying for here at It Is Written. We have worship every workday, you know. Uh, well, okay. Two women, sort of the same. One is the aunt of one of our staff. She has pancreatic cancer. We have been praying for her. And you and I both know that pancreatic cancer is extremely challenging. Since we've been praying, her health has continued to decline and she has very few days left. On the other hand, the friend of one of our staff also has pancreatic cancer. When we began to pray, she was desperately ill. Since we began to pray, and doubtless others have prayed for her as well, her health has improved. She's now eating. She's now back up on her feet. She's now able to do some of the things she could not do before. I don't know if this means she will be completely healed, but we have seen God miraculously intervene. Many times you might pray and say, it's pancreatic cancer. Why should I pray? I will tell you why. Because God will answer. Does it mean he will always make a sick person well? No, it doesn't. But as you pray, you become well. As you pray, that person is influenced and affected by the power and the grace and the presence of Almighty God. We pray to a God who is great and vast and powerful. Jehoshaphat believed that. Verse 7, are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? We know what you have done, God. You have worked for us before. Did you know that you should pray that way? Lord, didn't you help me find my car keys that day? Lord, didn't I pray about a spouse and you brought the right person along? Or didn't I pray about that young man or that young woman and you showed me clearly it was not the right person? Haven't you answered my prayers before? We prayed for my cousin and she got well. I prayed for you to help me in class and you brought things to my mind. My daughter is in her last year of high school right now. And she's not just a wonderful daughter. She's a fantastic human being. I love my daughter. I cannot even tell you how much. My daughter knows that when you go into a test, an important test in school, you should pray. She came home after school a couple of days ago. And she said, I cannot tell you how badly I did in this class. And it's a complicated class. She told us some of the answers to the quiz questions. She simply struggled her way through the quiz. And when I say she told us some of the answers, she told my wife and I, her mother and I, some of the answers she wrote down on paper. They sounded comical. She said, I didn't have a clue what the question even meant. But I prayed, I asked God to help me, what else can I do? 
She came home from school yesterday, Friday, and she said, I must tell you how the quiz went. Yes. She said, the teacher said that he was very disappointed. Same class last year, all A's and B's. This year, two F's failed. This year, C's and D's and B's, and only two students got an A. And I said, and you were one of them? She said, yes, I was one of them. I have no idea how that happened. I think next time she has a test in that class, she will pray that God confuses the mind of the, of the teacher doing the grading, because maybe that's what got her through. When she prays next time, you can know that she is going to say, Lord, I remember what you did last time. Hmm? Do you pray like that? Lord, I had an important test. You got me through. I'm praying you'll do it again because I know you can. Remember what God has done before. Remember what God did for your friend. Lord, my friend was sick. She got well. If you healed her, you can heal me. That's how you pray. Lord, our church uh, had an outreach event or has an outreach event coming up. And I remember how you blessed us last time. I expect you to bless us this time. Or I know how our friends in England were blessed. We have some GYC members who had an outreach in Germany and it went so well. Lord, we want that here because you did that. You can do this. We have an ASI uh, 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 initiative in Portugal or in Spain or in Italy. And Lord, we know how you worked in the ASI event in France. And so we're asking you to do the same. That's how you pray. Who are we praying to? God, you are a prayer answering God. We have seen you do it before. You can go back and say, Lord, if you carpeted the ground with manna, if you brought down the walls of Jericho, if you brought water out of a rock, then you can do what we are asking you to do today. Remember what God has done for you in the past and then remind him, tell him, you believe that if he can do that, then he can do this. If you can't think of things God has done for you, remind him of what he did for Israel or for your friends or your family. This will give you confidence that God can do more for you. He reminds God in verse 11 that the enemy was coming to take God's land land that God gave to his people. And then a prophet spoke up in verse 15 and said, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but it is God's. Amen. Do you pray like that? The battle is not yours. It is God's. I want to show you something absolutely important that we learn in this story. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, allow me to show you this very, very important principle. You need never, you don't want ever to forget this. In verse 12, O our God, 
Will you not judge them? Listen, for we have no might against this great company that comes against us. Neither do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. We don't know what to do. We can't possibly beat them, but our eyes are on you. This is prayer. Prayer is focusing on God. Have you not read in the Bible where it tells us in so many words that by beholding, we become changed? As we pray, we are changed. Our eyes are on you. Time spent in prayer is time spent looking at God, looking to God, focusing on God. God will fight your battle. Let me ask you, who is fighting your battles? The next day, they went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. People were appointed to sing and praise. And notice this in verse 22. Now, when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. Did you see that? Victory came when God's people began to sing and praise, not when they fought but when they sang and praised. Come on now. If we came to God with singing and praises and less worry and less complaining, we would see God do greater things. When temptation comes, sing. When temptation comes, praise. I had a friend, he would sing the name of Jesus when temptation came. He would just sing, Jesus, 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 Jesus. He would just sing the name of Jesus. He would sing. He said, works every time. Devil cannot get me when I sing the name of Jesus. The passage tells us that the enemies that came to invade Judah turned on each other and killed each other. Jehoshaphat and the people went out to take the spoil off the dead bodies. There was so much, it took them three days to collect it all. God fought their battles, and he turned certain defeat into a stunning, comprehensive victory. Now, that's good to remember. Remember Jericho? God's people walked around the city. Then they shouted, and that was that. God stepped in and fought their battle. In 2 Kings, the city of Samaria was surrounded. God's people were starving. The Syrians had the city surrounded. There was nothing Israel could do. But as the Syrians surrounded the city, God sent a noise a noise. They heard what they thought was an invading army. And so they fled and left their wealth and their food and their resources and their supplies behind. 
meaning that the famine ended instantly. God's people were delivered. That's what God can do for you. You're in a difficult place and you don't know where deliverance is coming from. Don't worry because God can. You don't know what to do about a family situation. Give it to God. He knows what to do. A difficult work situation. God knows. Something at school. God sees it. Relationship troubles. How will this work out? Let God handle it. He can. You have an, a, an important ministry project taking place. You don't know where the funding will come from. God knows. You don't know how you're going to reach the people of your secular city. God knows. Let God handle it. You might not always see what you want to see, and things might not always happen on your timetable, but God can be trusted. Now, these were military situations we read about, or we just read about moments ago. And thankfully, not too many of us have been involved in military situations. Not too many of us will be involved in literal battles and earthly wars. But there is a battle that we are all involved in, and it's a lot more serious than an earthly conflict, if you will know what I mean. Turn with me in your Bible to Romans chapter 7. Paul is talking about a serious battle. It's one that he cannot win. Here's my question for you. Who is fighting your battles? Who is fighting your battles? Paul says in Romans chapter 7 and verse 14, I am carnal. I am sold under sin. And then he says, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I want to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Have you ever had that experience? Doing what you really know you shouldn't be doing? Uh, not doing what you should be doing? You have a bad temper, you know you shouldn't. You're reading something online and you know you should click away from the page. But there's nothing there, no power, no power to deliver you. And you don't feel good about that. This is Romans 7 and verse 19. For the good that I will do, I do not do. But the evil that I don't want to do, that I practice. Have you ever had that experience? Find yourself not doing what you know you should, doing what you shouldn't. I find it funny that even now, as we're looking at this passage, someone at this very moment is saying, well, is that the converted Paul or is it the unconverted Paul? Someone's asking that question right now. And it's a funny question, really, to be honest with you. Here's the answer. This is the answer. Is it the converted Paul or the unconverted Paul? It makes no difference at all. Now, the unconverted Paul would definitely have this trouble. No power to live right. 
no power to make the right choices. No, no question about it. Let me ask you this question. Would the converted Paul ever have this trouble? Careful how you answer. Let me ask you this question. Are you converted? I'm not asking you to answer out loud. You don't have to leave something on the chat. If you would like to make a group of Seventh-day Adventists uncomfortable, stand before them and ask them, how many people here today are converted? Please raise your hand. It is amazing how few people will raise their hand. Maybe that's because many of God's people don't want to seem like they are proud. They want to seem like they are humble. Oh, I would hate to say that I'm converted. It's not humility that leads a person to doubt whether they are converted or not. It is a lack of faith. Do converted people, I'm going to ask you this question again, are you converted? Now I'm going to say, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Have you given your heart to Jesus? Yes, you've been converted. Did you change your mind? Did you turn and walk away? No, no, you, you, no you're following God. You're converted. Do you invite Jesus into your life? Has the Spirit of God rested upon you? All right. Now I'm going to ask you this question. It's concerning not doing what you should and doing what you should not. Do converted people, do people who have ever given their hearts to Jesus have this problem? So if you're converted, if you've been born again, do you ever find yourself doing what you shouldn't and not doing what you should? We both know the answer. We are all still growing. Let's not pretend that too many of us have attained a state of sinlessness. We are all prone to make mistakes. We are all growing. Anyone who takes their eyes off Jesus is going to have that challenge that Paul spoke about. If you ever let go of God's hand, you are going to discover that you are out of power. Let me walk through this again, just in case it has not been clear. Paul said that there were, was a time in his life that he couldn't do the good things that he should, and he did do the bad things that he shouldn't. Converted Paul, unconverted Paul. Forget the theological sidetrack questions. Forget that. Does it happen to you? You have been converted. You are a child of God, and yet you and I both find ourselves not doing what we know we should, and doing what we know we shouldn't. It's a problem. And it comes into our lives because as we are still growing, there are times we take our eyes off Jesus and therefore we plunge and we fall. Paul describes his desperation. But then he describes the God-given solution. Who's fighting your battles? He writes in verse 24. 
Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? If he stopped there, we would have a real problem. But praise God, he didn't stop there. He went on and said, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It was Jesus who would deliver him from his body of death. It was Jesus who would provide him with spiritual strength. It was Jesus who would give him grace so that he would not keep doing the things he didn't want to do. It was God who would live in him so that he could do God's will. Jesus was the answer to his challenges. Who was fighting Paul's battles? Look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Romans 8, 1. Some of the greatest words in the history of literature. There is, therefore, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. No condemnation. How do you feel about that? If you are in Christ Jesus, if you have surrendered to him, there is no condemnation. Of course, the flip side is that if you are in, if you are in rebellion against God, there is condemnation. But you expect that. You don't want to be in rebellion against God. You want to live your life. And you want God to live his life in you, who's fighting your battles. God will do that. He will really do that. We struggle sometimes, don't we? Our temper gets the better of us. Our thoughts wander away. We're less honest than we ought to be. The list could go on and on. And we say, oh God, who will deliver me from this body of death? We cry out to God as Peter did when he was sinking into the water. Lord, save me. And God steps in and takes you by the heart and remakes you and restores you and lifts you up and cleanses you and strengthens you. He does for you in answer to prayer what you could never do for yourself. Who is fighting your battles today? The Olympic Games in 1952 were held in Finland, in Helsinki. Big news of the Olympic Games almost 70 years ago was an athlete from a country that no longer exists. The great runner Emil Zatopek from Czechoslovakia went to Helsinki and won the gold medal in the 5,000 meters. Then he won the gold medal in the 10,000 meters. And then he did what no one has ever before. Then he did what no one has done ever before. 
and he added the gold medal in the marathon to the two medals he had already won. Now, some years later, an Australian athlete named Ron Clark traveled to Prague to run in an athletics event organized by Emil Zatopek. Zatopek invited him to come to Prague to run. Ron Clark from Australia went. Now, Clark was recognized as a very unlucky athlete. He set many world records, many, but never won a gold medal, just one bronze at the Olympics. He was a great athlete, but he never won the big prize. He and the Czechoslovakian athlete became great friends. Zatopek was evidently a real character and a wonderful man, according to those who knew him best. And he liked and appreciated Ron Clark very much. Well, when he dropped him off at the airport in Prague and farewelled him, he gave Ron Clark a little package. He said, this is because you deserve it. This is because you deserve it. Well, Clark didn't know what he meant. Zatopek was living behind the Iron Curtain. He thought, maybe this is a secret message for the outside world. He got on the plane and sat down. He tells the story in two ways. He said, while he was on the flight, Another time he said when he landed at Heathrow, because he flew to London. He reached into his carry-on baggage and took out that little package. He opened it up and was stunned to find that the Czech athlete had given him one of his own gold medals. What a gesture. And why did he give it to him? because Zatopek said, you deserve it. I think of that quest, that story, and I am impressed that when we get to heaven, Jesus will give us not a gold medal to put around our neck, but a golden crown that he will place on our head. I read where somebody said, we will take that crown off and cast it at the feet of Jesus, knowing that we are unworthy. Will Jesus give us a crown of gold and say, this is because you deserve it? I don't think he will. And even if he did, we would know we do not deserve it. Only Jesus deserves the crown of gold. But this is what we know. The Lord God fights our battles. He is our hope and strength. Jesus will win our victories. We don't deserve it. He deserves it. We are thankful to his goodness to us. In answer to our prayer, he will forgive us, cleanse us, strengthen us, transform Form us, save us, and take us to be with him in heaven, saved 
for all eternity. Who's fighting your battles? There is no sin too great, no failure too bad, no stain on your heart so dark, no problem so difficult that Jesus cannot work it out for you. We have much to talk to God about. Let us ask, what if we prayed the God of heaven will fight our battles and win for us every time? Come on, let me pray with you now. Our Father in heaven, we have no might against the host of darkness, but our eyes are upon you. You have called us to be your people in earth's very last days. Who can be such a person? Our eyes are on you. You wish to seal us with the seal of the living God. Lord, you know what we are made of. So our eyes are on you. Jehoshaphat prayed and there was great deliverance. We pray today. Friend, would you pray and ask God to heal your heart? Would you pray and ask God to pour his presence into your life? Would you pray with thanks that God right now gives you the assurance that you are his daughter, that you are his son? We can pray and know that God would reach the hearts of others just as he has reached and taken our own heart. Today, we thank you, Lord, and we ask confidently, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Have a blessed Sabbath.